0: Hey, this is J.J. Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message.
1: Hey, Jubilee. So glad to see you. We're here in Florida doing a marriage conference, but kind of wanted to give you a little bit of update with what happened this past week.
0: You know, on Thursday, we had the vote for the building, with the CU Regents. I want to report to you that the vote went in our favor, eight to one for them to sell us the building. Uh, And then the strangest thing happened, almost within hours of being at this incredible high. Um, they added four things to the contract that are just simply impossible for us to say yes to. Um, I'll give you an example one of the issues that they added to the contract was the right for them to get out of the contract for no reason right up until the day before closing and obviously with that uh, and three others that were similar we just can't do business so we had to say no and we have to trust that yes. in saying no, God has shut the door and opened the door yes. for us to pursue the other bill So, that's what's going on. I wanna thank you for your prayers for your care. Um, and you know, we prayed the whole time, floors will be yes. done and whatever he wanted is what we wanted. And we will now look at this as though this is what God has for us. So thank you for caring, thank you for being a part. We're excited to talk more about the Nichols Building and all that God's gonna be doing in our church.
1: So we look forward to being back with you next weekend. Um, Some of you may feel disappointed. We certainly kind of have had our little bits of ups and downs, but the whole entire time we know that God's been in control and this is no different. So as we move forward with the next building, we're very excited. Yep. Amen. We'll see you guys next weekend. Bye. Bye. Yes. Uh, You know what? Either the enemy's at work, but I'll tell you what, God wins. Or God's at work and we win. So we win. All right. Disappointing, yes. But, hey, we just believe and have prayed that God would literally direct our steps. And uh, we're excited about things and things change. But I will tell you this. I've been here uh, 14 years. I've known John since he was uh, a newlywed to Chris, uh, and I've seen him grow in his leadership capacity, and he's done an amazing job with our church. I'm so proud to be a part of it and to watch him and his leadership in this time. I think we're going to end up in a great place, and I'm excited to be a part of that. So uh, uh, it's just really excited that you're here. Thank you. It's wonderful that you I kind of like this weather. Am I weird? Huh? Some of you, yeah. (laughs) Well, some of you know me. I am weird. But uh, I it just I like extremes. I just kind of like that. And, and you know, for you guys that are watching, you in your PJs and fluffy robes, and um, I still think you're a sissy. But anyway, <laughs> these guys are real deal. All right, thank you for coming. Um, so listen, let me uh, tell you, we're we're in the last message of this Nehemiah series. If you've not watched or heard any all, all of the messages, please go back; they're amazing. Uh, I'm excited. I bring the close of Nehemiah. We look at the last chapters. There's an amazing spiritual lesson for us here today. Uh, early on, as I was reading through Nehemiah and listening to the other outlines, I just thought this is such an exciting truth that I get to share. So, uh, uh, really dive into this. All right. So let me ask you this: Maybe uh, if you're a spiritual person, uh, maybe. maybe. Maybe you've had in your life a spiritual high, a great victory. God did something amazing. You were just at the top of it. It all came together. It's just one of those moments where you felt life and freedom and good and God all at one time. Anybody here ever had that kind of experience at any point in your life? Some of you, great. Uh, Some of you, I hope that you will have that someday. It's pretty awesome. But anyway, um, but here's the reality. That can happen, but, and I've experienced this, but that high, that great, that I mean, as good as it can get, and it just seemed like at some point, all that kind of went away, and I felt far away from God. Maybe you can relate to that, too, and that's exactly what's happened here in the book of Nehemiah at the end. Um, Years ago, uh, I was a youth pastor in uh, uh, South Carolina, or uh, in uh, Texas, and so um, uh, I was at a church in Pasadena, Texas. Anybody ever been to Pasadena, Texas? You don't want to be the Pasadena, Texas. Uh, They call it Stinkadena. It has all sorts of oil refineries and all sorts of chemical plants, and it just smells like that anyway. uh, Jeremy, I don't know how, I'm trying to think about how old you were, about three or four, maybe three at that time. And so we lived there and was at a church, and we were uh, working with our youth group, had a great youth group, uh, had come into this youth group. The youth pastor was this very handsome, young, single guy. The youth group had about 25 kids, High school teenage girls uh, and two guys, anyway. Don't know why that happened. But uh, so uh, to these poor girls' demise, uh, the uh, youth pastor fell in love, got married, and went to missions in Mexico. And so the youth group had uh, for miraculously faded down to just two guys, a few girls. And so anyway, uh, I had the opportunity to come, and the Lord blessed us there. Uh, great youth group, good things were happening. And so um, we were at a youth camp that our church uh, was a part of. And that summer, and I remember praying with our kids, and they were just seeking God and hungry for spiritual things to happen in their life. And as I was praying on the one side of this auditorium with a couple of our kids, I just felt God just come and say, get ready. Your next place of ministry, you're gonna see things and experience things you have never seen me do. And I'm like, whoa, you know, it's, have you ever had that God moment where you're like, is that really God? Anybody here ever had that? It's like, whoa. Okay, so kind of like if it's a geographical thing, I went to the other side of the auditorium, prayed with some more of our kids, and God came back and said, you're not getting away from me. This is the real deal. I'm gonna do something big in your life. I had that back of my mind. I thought, you know, man, I'm here at this church. Things are good. And across town, a church, uh, the pastor there was instrumental in me coming to Texas. He did not know it. He was actually on a golf game uh, with a pastor and had mentioned this young couple coming down. See, God can work miracles in golf games. Now, not mine. <laughs> Needs a lot more than a miracle in my golf game. But anyway, God worked through that. And so I ended up, this pastor, his youth pastor went on to uh, Pioneer Church. And so somehow I ended up uh, in his office talking about the job. And interview went real well. And he liked everything I was doing. And he, he knew uh, and had seen what had happened in the ministry before. And he said, man, he said, you just got, you're good. You're everything looks good. But he said, honestly, I was looking for a younger guy. And I was like, man, that's a bummer. I said, well, well, how old were you looking for? He said, I was kind of looking for somebody about 26. I said, I'm 26. I may look 30, but I'm 26. Anyway, I've always looked older. I'm only 50 right now. You might think I'm 66, but I'm not. No, I really am 66. Anyway, so uh, the, the, the youth group had dwindled. It was a church that had about 600. Great church, really great church good life, good thing, but the youth group had really just dwindled, and I remember my first youth service, uh, I had twice as many kids at a church that ran about 200, and I go to the first service and 17 kids, and I really didn't think about what God had said back then, but we began the ministry, began working, and true to form, God began to work, and not long after that, the youth group literally exploded. We started experiencing miracles. We had to outgrow a youth room we were in. Uh, We went upstairs to a loft in a gym. Uh, We put a wall there and we literally filled that up. We had, um, we didn't have room for chairs. So many kids were coming. They were driving clear across Houston, 30, 40 miles to come to youth group. That was a God thing. All right. That's pretty amazing. And so literally we couldn't sit down. We would stand up. We had a little worship band, great worship band, much like this, just the life of God. We would stand up. It's really the first recorded incident of a holy rave all right? It had that feel. It's like kids excited, jumping, praising. It was amazing. You just sweat, the air couldn't keep up, and God would do amazing things in that. And so here I am. I've been in the ministry now about three, four years. Uh, I'm I'm a little, uh, I'm 27 by then. And uh, I'm telling you, it was amazing what God had done. And we experienced some of it. It's just hard. I could take the rest of the day to tell you things that we had. Uh, One of our kids were murdered uh, in a a robbery at at a bowling alley from guys that were on drugs. The Lord actually used that. Many kids came to know Jesus because of that. All sorts of things were happening. This is the kind of moment that Nehemiah had. If you remember all the story of the wall that was rebuilt, the enemies kept uh, coming in and they were working hard at building this. And so we come into Nehemiah at chapter six and here's what we look at. On October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days. This is amazing, 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. The outside of gods are frightened and humiliated when the Lord does a work like this. So here's the last part of that verse. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. And that was what happened there. Then let's fast forward Nehemiah chapter eight. Ezra the priest reads the law And the people are convicted by that. In uh, Nehemiah 9, it said the people repent, promise to follow the law. You've heard of the verse, uh, the joy of the Lord is our salvation. It came here in Nehemiah because when they heard the law, they were convicted. They were broken. They thought we have violated God's command. They repented. And in their repenting, they were so sorrowful. And Nehemiah says, wait, don't do this. Let's celebrate. You have come back to God. And that's where the idea the joy of the Lord all right, is our salvation. And he wanted them to focus on the good things that God had done. And then Nehemiah chapter 10, uh, the uh, approach that Nehemiah took was to the people and he gave three vows in 10. There are three vows. Do not marry the pagan people of the land. Do not purchase merchandise on the Sabbath and provide for the care and the work of the temple. Those are the vows that he gave. And then in Nehemiah 10, the people have settled and the growth is happening now. There's a wall, there's safety, so people are coming back and they settle around Jerusalem. And then in Nehemiah 11, there's a record of all the priests and Levites that were there. And then that brings us to what we want to talk about today, Nehemiah chapter 12, all right? Uh, Nehemiah, before he goes back, there's a great celebration, and they dedicate the wall to the Lord. It's an amazing uh, passage of Scripture, literally a wall that earlier on the critics were saying a, a, a fox couldn't stand on this wall or it'd fall apart. I don't know if you remember that. And so here is a wall now that is finished, and Scripture tells us that Nehemiah took uh, all the great choir, the singers, the worship band, the priest. Ezra took the rest, the same. They literally... Pile ladders up. They got on the wall. Uh, Nehemiah went one side to Ezra and they began to sing. They began to praise the Lord and all the people were celebrating. And it's so cool. Uh, the word says there that the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. Think about that. It didn't say the music. It didn't say the worship band. It said the joy of the people were heard far away. I think that's kind of could be us as we see God move. Man, wouldn't it be great if our surrounding community, just in our excitement for God, could just hear of the joy of what God has done? And that is an amazing thing. And so Nehemiah returns to King Artaxerxes, all right? Does his service there. He comes back after a period of time and here's what he finds. The very vows he said to keep, these people are now violating, all right? And so The idea is that what happened to them, all right, wasn't the enemies outside the wall, it was enemies inside the wall. And so the point of this message is this, sometimes the enemy within is as destructive as the enemy outside. And I want you to be aware of that today as we go through that. So Nehemiah addresses their issues. And as I saw this, I thought, this kind of relates to my situation, maybe yours, I see a progression in us moving away from the victory and the freedom that we have with God. And I'll try to show you that here today. So beginning in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse seven through nine. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashib's evil deed. All right, Eliashib was left for uh, all of the storerooms of the temple. That was his responsibility to take all that in and to keep track of it and take care of it. And so Eliashib had a relative, a uh, whose name was Tobiah. And he says, uh, I, he was evil deed into providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset throughout all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified and brought back the articles of God's temple, the grain offerings, and the frankincense. Now, listen, you might have forgotten, but earlier in Nehemiah, Tobiah is one of the three critics and one of the three antagonists of this wall being built. He was the one that uh, actually made the comment about the fox on the walls. He was against this wall. He was against every effort. He tried to bring down any effort of this wall. And so now, all right, the very enemy of these people, let's make a condo for them. Let's take out the things of God and make room and bring them into our temple. How terrible is that? How wrong is that? All right, and Nehemiah comes back and finds this. All right, folks, here's the first point. Sometimes we can experience a victory of God, but we let the enemy back in. Yeah. And it's an important thing to understand what that looks like. How have we done that? How have we let the enemy in? I was thinking about ways that in my life and other conversations I've had that I've seen that we build a little room in our heart for the enemy. One could be bitterness. Something happens in your life and you get bitter and you allow that bitterness to just build a condo in your heart. They build a big flat screen TV that plays the video of your hurt time and time again. And you continue to rehearse that and you get more bitter about that. It could be disappointment. Maybe you believed God or in a situation. Maybe you're here today and you believed in a relationship or something went wrong there. Something went wrong in your business. And you begin to feel this disappointment. and You begin to realize, God, you must have done this to me. God, this is something you allowed. It could be Jealousy. Could be you see God doing things and he's blessed and all of a sudden now somebody else is getting a blessing and you're struggling with that. Could be pride. Could be something in you that, that sees yourself. I think, I think Eliashab really just thought, hey, I'm in charge of this. I'm the guy he left in charge. I can do what I want. So if I want my relative to come in and stay here, that's my business. All right. I don't know what that pride issue is in you. Could be anger. Some of these things may be going on and you just get angry. Sometimes people have, um, I want to call it condemnation. It's it's residual shame of something that's happened in your life. And you open up your door to the enemy to begin to bring that condemnation back in. And you begin to feel not worthy of God. It could be anything that distorts God's real love and truth in your life, whatever that is. When I uh, experienced this great thing in Texas, (coughs) there were a couple enemies that I let in. I'm gonna be honest, I'm kind of ashamed, but I'll tell you this. I'm a young guy, all right, uh, mid-20s, and I'm experiencing some great success. Uh, people all around the town were coming and, hey, how are you doing this? What's going on? And, and, and the word was out and, and you'd hear these words and, 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 and the same people that praise you will you know, later on judge you. But anyway, I just began to feel, man, this is pretty cool. All right, guess who did the work? It was God, but guess who thought they should take the credit? It was Terry, all right? And I just began to feel pretty good about this. And I began to realize, hey, man, look what I have done. Look what a great youth group I've built, all right? And, and although earlier in the wall, they said God had, I, I had that same concept in me. And so I kind of felt I was the real deal. I kind of felt like I was the man, you know what I'm saying? Anybody here ever feel like that? Nobody here? You guys <laughs> never feel pride in your life? All right, well, let's skip this point then, I guess. Um <laughs> All right, so I'm really riding high. I'm thinking this is awesome. Great things are going on. Folks, when you open up and let the enemy in, oh, it's so insidious how he can just sneak in and begin to ruin your life and ruin your walk with God. So uh, things changed. Our pastor, he was voted into a denominational position, and a new pastor came in. I knew the pastor. I had great expectations. I thought, this is going to be wonderful. I knew who he was, and he ended up being a really difficult man. The hardest man I've ever worked for in my life, except for one guy when I was working at an egg factory uh, up off Federal Avenue. He was, he was a horrible man. He, listen, we would go in the back room, throw eggs on the wall, and it was a cooler, and they would just ooze down. And that was you know our high school you know, torment. But anyway, uh, off subject. Um, so this pastor was terrible. He really was terrible. Um, and, and, and I don't think he meant to be, but maybe he had a lot of enemies he'd let in, a lot of insecurities, a lot of things there. And so uh, there, I can tell you stories. I'm not gonna take the time, but I remember just the kind of person he was. He would be on uh, the, the platform speaking, and I remember one specific guy, a friend of mine was running the sound, and uh, something happened with a mic. It squeaked or something, and he just stops the service, and he just looks back, and he says, can't we find somebody smart enough to run sound back there? All right, my friend, Doug, I could just see his countenance drop. Guess who never served in the sound room again? All right, and I'm sitting there thinking, what a stupid man. You know, this is the pastor. He should model love and grace and all that kind of stuff. So not only did I let pride in, guess what I let in? Anger, all right? I had one side of, hey, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, this church loves and respects. I mean, all these things that are just, the enemy's so good. But then I started getting angry. I started getting, he would say things about me that were not true. Uh, he would literally, from the pulpit, every week, almost every week, have some dumb, dumb youth pastor joke, all right? You know, how many youth pastors does it take to change a life? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't remember if that was a joke, but that's the example. And everybody would laugh. So here I am feeling pretty good about myself on one hand. On the other hand, I'm getting, you know, really kind of put down. So I had this, these two competing things of enemies that I let into my heart, and so Uh, It was really a struggle that I was going on, but because I let the enemy in, things then began to progress. Nehemiah 13, here's the next step. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food, so they, the singers, uh, were to conduct the worship services, had all returned to work in their fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to proper duties. Once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithe of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple storerooms. This second point is this. We neglect God's house. Folks, in our day and age, it isn't a temple. We are that temple. We are God's house. This representation throughout the week and the weekend is us. We are God's work. We are His hands. We are His feet on this earth. We are to be his house. And the scripture exhortation for us today is we can't neglect this. We can't just take this with a a, a light attitude. Um, How many of you are perfect? Any perfect people? We got one. Any more? Okay. How many honestly would say, you are well aware you're not perfect? Okay, and if your husband's actually didn't raise your hand, poke him right now. You deserve that. Okay, how many know pastors aren't perfect? Realize that? Sometimes people put pastors on this pedestal and then they just, they become real and they're like, oh, I can't believe it. Pastors are not perfect. Uh, I, 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 last night sharing this message, I, I said a dumb word, a bad, it's not a bad word, but it's, it's not what I say. It's kind of the word. And, and, and it, I said B-U-T-T. I don't even want to say it again because I was embarrassed because <laughs> I called some people a B-U-T-T. I, I don't do that, but I, I'm not perfect. So I failed all right? God told me later, that was dumb. Don't do that again. So I'm not going to do that this service. But anyway, we neglect. I found this online survey. This is the real deal. There was an online service. They asked people, all right, describe the perfect pastor, and they compiled the perfect pastor, okay? Can I read that to you? Is that all right? All right, first one, they preach it for exactly 12 minutes. It ain't going to happen here, folks. I'm sorry. Um, They are 28 years of age and have been preaching for 30 years, They work from 8 a.m. till midnight, but they're also the caretaker of the church. They frequently condemn sin, but they never upset anybody. They wear good clothes, buy good books, drive a good car, live in a good house, give generously to the poor, and they have a little salary. These are funny. Maybe just to pastors, I don't know. They make 15 daily calls to parish families, visit the housebound and the hospitalized, but they spend all their time evangelizing unchurched people and are always available in the office when they're needed. And last, they're very good looking. I'll leave that one up to you to judge. Nancy said I am. I believe her. That's a perfect pastor. All right? So let me talk to you. I'm here... I'm harboring an enemy within of pride and anger. Guess what's going to happen with that? It begins to manifest in the house of God. It will, folks. That enemy within will manifest in the house of God. And I begin to allow these things. And I begin to look at my responsibility at church. I'll make that jerk pastor pay. I'm just going to show up, but I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do the things I'm supposed to do. I'll let this just be his mess to deal with. And my anger and my pride, I got critical, resentful, and I got into my mindset this idea of, he's gonna pay for treating me that way. I know that's silly. I know that's immature. I know that's not godly. But when you let the enemy in, it takes you down a path that you do things that you probably wouldn't do, all right? And so uh, this was just the life that I was living, and it was just this uncomfortable place, of where I was at in the house of God. Um, Rebecca mentioned earlier, today's Valentine's Day. How many of you did something for Valentine's? Raise your hand. Uh, some of you guys need a lesson. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm telling you, all right? Uh, well, we could talk about this in a marriage thing, but we were not here today for that. But anyway, uh, Valentine's, Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm a hopeless romantic. Tom, you know me enough to know. I, I'm totally into that, all right? Um, and I was talking uh, earlier with my son, and, and, and he's like, I'm not gonna spend three times as much just because it's a day they've sell. It, it actually was created by a card company, I don't know if you knew that. The history was created by a card company, and some people call it the Hallmark holiday, all right? And and for some people, just, hey, getting a guy to give a card and a rose or something once a a year is probably an achievement. But anyway, that's a different thing. But the reality of this is, right, Valentine's is about love, right? And it's about a visible or some kind of expression of that love. And in in your relationships, however that looks, that's good, that's okay. Uh, um, And it is expensive, I went to get a card. It was $9. Hey, next year I'm breaking out the crayons and the construction paper. I'm telling you. I'm going back old school on Valentine's. All right? And so, uh, but I, let me ask you this, okay? What if, if, ladies here, if you're in a relationship, okay, husband, boyfriend, um, okay, let's say you're in a relationship here. And how would you feel if the only time that love was expressed was once a year? How would you feel about that? Come on, how would you feel? Yeah, it's like, really? Okay. Uh, And and not because it's a holiday, but let's just say, take that out of it, but just say, once a year, your husband says, hey, I I think you're awesome, I love you. 364 days, nothing? You'd be disappointed, wouldn't you? You wouldn't think, golly, this isn't really a great thing. Guys, let me ask you this. Would you be satisfied with a really nice kiss, a warm hug, and maybe some other marital blessings, if you know what I mean, once a year? I know you men. You'd be angry. You'd be ticked off. You'd be calling the pastor saying, go talk to my wife. She needs to read that scripture in the Bible about Corinthians. You know what I'm talking about. Nobody here, nobody here would think that's a healthy, good thing. Nobody. But don't we treat... God's house that way sometimes? Don't we look at it as just, well, you know what? You've got to show up. I know some people come to church once a year. I get that. I understand that. But if you're part of God, what the enemy wants to do, all right, is to create in you this distrust, this lack of understanding, this value of God's house. It's so important to that. It's so valuable. You see, um, look, in Valentine's, in your relationship, uh, you can call love an emotion. It is. I feel emotion. But I will tell you, uh, I, 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 you know, I went through a lot in the last few years. I had a great, wonderful long-term marriage. Uh, began to understand love in the sense of not only emotion, but intentional acts and began to develop that, reap the fruit of that. And the Lord took Brenda home to heaven. She's in a much better place of love today than any of us here. All right, and so I go through this now, you know, grief and all that stuff, and uh, I, Brenda told me before I, she passed, she said, Terry, you need to, I know you, you need a wife. <laughs> I didn't know how to take that, really. I do need a wife, so I, that's true, and so eventually after this process, uh, I, I thought, well, I'll try this dating thing. Uh, last time I dated, I was 16, okay? And and now I'm I'm sixty uh, something years old, and uh, you know what, dating sucks. Yeah. I didn't like dating. All right, and all the rules changed. Golly, in 50 years, everything about dating kind of went outside. And I'm I'm not exaggerating. I'm saying this in all honesty and kindness. I met some crazy women. I really did. I'm not saying. I mean, I'm telling you, I met some crazy women. And I'm thinking, this is it. Now, some of you, some of you girls, listen. I'm not on the ladies. You've met some really dopey guys, too. I understand. I understand. All right? Uh, by the way, the crazy lady wasn't here, Jesse. I just want to make sure you understand that. Uh, I, I really do. I don't want you to think that somebody here, I dated. A, there were some great ladies here, and I dated them. And obviously, the connection is awkward. And it, it just wasn't right. But so uh, the Lord literally bring Nancy into my life, literally. And I, I, I met on our first date. And guess what? I knew I want to spend my life with this girl. And I pursued her. I had every emotional drive, excitement. I will tell you, Valentine's didn't have a leg up on me, man. I was after it. I was cards and texts and sweet things and gifts and dinners and all sorts of stuff. I'll go get dinner, come over for dinner and all these wonderful things, okay? And so, man, I was all in. I was all in. I'd give her so many cards one day, she said, look, you can't give me any more cards, so why you don't like them? She, look, I like the sentiment, but I got so many cards here, I got clutter. Yeah. Yes. What? Tell a romantic that all that stuff is clutter? You're gonna break their heart. I had to adjust to that. I was like, really? So I just got mad and said, well, throw the darn things away then if they that's how you feel about them, you know? I'm telling you, this whole relationship thing, I had it worked out. I've started all over at square one. But let me just say this. All right, finally convinced her to marry me. We got to go to Jerusalem and got married in Jerusalem overlooking the old city. It was a beautiful, romantic, amazing thing. Come back, started living our life. And guess what? Marriage is hard. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, marriage is good. Listen, I'd pick marriage any day over single. All right, some of you like being single and that's good for you too. God said some people do that. Paul said that, anyway. uh, But here's the thing. Guess what? I couldn't just get married and say I do and we're good. I had to make the investment. All right. Sometimes the feeling wasn't there. Sometimes the clutter stuff made me feel less romantic. But there's an intentionality that comes with a relationship that I said, I'm in. I'm going to stay in this. I'm going to do the right things because my heart has love not just feelings of love. And the reality is is that we do that with the house of God. We do that with God's church, all right? The scripture talks about we are his body. We are having the Holy Spirit work through us to do his work on this earth. I think the most important thing the church does, and I believe this, and I believe God's intent is that we together as a body, fit, joint together, working together, is valuable in your spiritual growth. I hear today this statement, oh, me and God, we can just figure it out on our own. I am sorry to tell you that is not scriptural in any way. Yes, there are aspects of your salvation, your walk with God, you have to walk alone. But you need the body of Christ, the church of Christ, to be a part of that. And so the reason is that the church encourages your uh, personal growth. Um, I've done a lot of research on this, and I found out that in all the studies, they found two things that are the most valuable, important to your spiritual growth. Anybody here want to grow spiritually? Are you needing transformation in your life? Would you like to experience God in new ways? I'm going to tell you today the two ways that's going to happen. I'm telling you. Number one, in all of the studies, it said a committed process of the Word of God. The word of God. It is so important in the world we live in. Rebecca said it earlier. What we don't know can hurt us. To know what God says, to understand His ways of life, not this world's ways of life. It is so important in this process. And what happened with Nehemiah can happen with us, the people there, who literally walked away from those vows. The number one is the word of God. Why do we do foundations? I will tell you right now, many of you need to be there, all right? Uh, what she didn't mention is, uh, and if Daniel was here, he would detest to this. Uh, the first one, it's my tradition. I always do a beef brisket, and, and it's a popular dish. I'm telling you, it's good stuff, all right? Daniel, he always says, make extra because I want to take some home. I mean, he chows that down. Anyway, it's good stuff. We do a meal. It's a wonderful time of community and talking, a lot of discussion around tables, a lot of teaching. Uh, Jake's a part of teaching it, myself and Daniel. We love doing it. It's one of our just most favorite things every year. And so last year we couldn't do it with COVID. We're excited to bring it back. You need to be a part of that. We did this in the past. Let me tell you what scared me. This scared me as a pastor. All right, I just for fun, I had a Bible survey. It's 25 questions, basic Bible stuff. I'll give you the first question. Who was the first man? Adam. You didn't know? <laughs> Adam. <laughs> send me on, um, who was the, uh, I know this, I know this, it'll come back, uh, yeah, it's that guy, he starts with an A, um, Adam, yeah, Adam, all right, everybody, most everybody gets that one, there's 25 questions, all right, for fun, I gave it to the pastors, all right, uh, I just thought, oh, this would be interesting, could be bad, could be interesting, anyway, um, all of our pastors, uh, 22, 23, 24, Pastor J.J. was was on staff. He's in the precepts, and they're really into the Word of God. And he got all 25, okay? They're good basic ones. There's a couple tricky ones in there. You have to really think about it. So we give that quiz. It's simple stuff, all right? And I'm telling you, the vast majority of people couldn't get 10 right, all right? I sat at a table one day, one evening after the dinner, and talked to a guy who who was in our church who said, man, he didn't get one right. He didn't get Adam right. And I'm just saying, T- tell me a little about your life. He said, I've never read the Bible. I said, you've never opened it up or read anything? No. I get all the word when I come to church. Hey, that's a good place to get the word, but you have to cultivate that in you. And foundations is a great point. The connection, the other one is this, all right? It's the word of God. And the other aspect of transformation, all right, is relationship in the body of Christ. I can tell you this, I did go through stuff. Amy, we've gone through stuff. I will tell you, this body, many of you that are my friends here, many of you have been such an important part of me hanging in there, of me really doing right because of that connection. Folks, you need that connection. You need that community. Now, listen, I know that a lot of churches, it's about groups, groups, groups. I get that, but it isn't about groups. It's about community, it's about connection. It's about relationships. Sometimes we have it. We've had God do an amazing thing. Recently, I've had a lot of people. Jason Savannah have come up and said, "Hey, we want to be part of leading a, a small group for parents, of children." all right? A lot of those things are beginning to happen. People are coming up and saying, "Hey, we just feel like the Lord." So something's happened. It doesn't have to be an official organized thing, though. Sometimes we wait for the church. We like. The church needs to feed the poor. You can't feed the poor. I mean, literally, let, don't just expect the church. You be a part of that. Sometimes groups, the best groups I'm in are organic. Just people I've met and just kind of liked and came together. All right, now I wanna say something here. Not to you, okay? I have to say something to the online people, all right? There's some statistics that we're reading as a result of the COVID pandemic in all of the research there that are saying 20 to 30% of the people who didn't go to church during COVID will not return. Will not return. And I, I say this with love and kindness. If you're there and you're watching and you're in your jammies, that's great. It's cold. I understand that. But if you and many of these people I love, they're friends of mine, families, married couple, and they have not returned. There's not a reason. Listen. Can I can I speak truthfully and kindness? I know many of these families many maybe even of yours that will find every activity out there for their kids that is back in gear their own activities their restaurants all that we find time for that and out of that 20 or 30 percent won't come back to church obviously what nehemiah is dealing with in this progression of neglecting the house of god can weigh heavily on that i just urge you out of love get back come be a part would you all hear that our life say God's doing good things? Yes. Amen. All right. These are the witnesses of what God is doing. Don't take my word for it. Get your family back. I want to share one thing about that. The other day, uh, I, I have Sirius Radio, whatever they call it, and it, you can find all sorts of kind of styles of music, and they've got three uh, Christian ones, okay? they got a got The Message, which is a, kind of a modern. They have another one that's got kind of a hip-hop, African-American kind of vibe. And then they got one that's got old old-time religion kind of stuff, okay? I was curious one day, I hit that channel. It was the twangiest, hillbilliest, (laughs) you know, that country quartet stuff. Anybody ever hear that kind of stuff? If you have serious, go to, uh, I even forget what it's called, anyway. uh, And so uh, I I, I was like, this is just really weird. And I was listening to it, but I kind of liked it. I don't know what happened to me. I was like, I listened a little longer. So Nancy got in the car and said, change that station, (laughs) It's like, okay, but anyway, uh, I'm listening to it and I'm driving, I'm literally driving up uh, Lincoln. A song came in, a quartet, and they began to sing an old song that I remember as a child in church singing. We would meet often. We would come to church. We would sing these songs. Can I tell you this? I sang every word of that song and I knew every word. I knew what it meant. I knew the message of that song. I began to weep because it's a truth that I've experienced in my life. And I began to just sing that. And I realized something. I said, I learned that when I was about six or seven years old. I was in church when I learned that song. Folks, I'm telling you, I lose my car keys. I lose my phone. Yesterday, I lost my wallet. I did find it. I have never forgotten those. Why is that? If you're a parent here, if you're a grandparent here, You better really understand how important it is that your children are in the house of God, that they're experiencing what they're experiencing with our great crew downstairs. That is so important. It just struck me as I know this, I believe this. Very important part. So I'll leave that there. Let me move on. Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 16 through 18. Some men from Tyre who had lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem at that. So I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way? I asked. wasn't it just this sort of thing that your ancestors did that caused our God to bring all this trouble upon us and our city? Now, you're bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated this way? So the third point is this, the Sabbath not respected. I could spend a lot of time here. Actually, this is a whole message, but let me just bring it We get into the legalistic view of the Sabbath. We get into the idea that the Sabbath is just, you can't do anything. That is not the intent of the Sabbath. The Sabbath in God's design, he said, is for us. All right, here's, again, I'd love to spend more time on this. We have a group that met on Monday and we really were talking about the idea of rest and where the Sabbath has a role of that. And so let me just say this, the Sabbath is for you. Can I tell you, what was happening here is the merchandising It wasn't just the selling. It was the idea that a day that was set aside for you to experience rest, for you to experience a connection was taken away. Hey, we live in a very high energy, high drive society. Do you know stress-related disease and death is extremely high right now? Why? It isn't just because of COVID. It's the pace that we live in. And God says to you, I have a gift for you. If you'll trust me, I have a gift for you. If you'll take a season, a time of rest, it doesn't mean you can't do this or that, but you know, we talked about it doesn't mean you can't garden. No, that is not the point. You can have activity. The point is this, all right, the word here, all right, the word to describe um, Sabbath rest is Sabbat. The word, and there's a couple things here that I'd love to get into. Wait, all right, wait on the Lord and he will what? Did anybody know? He will renew your strength. You will mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary. Listen, what is the key in that verse? And it's through other passages the waiting. The reason that you go into your weak, empty, stressed, anxious, have you waited? Have you renewed yourself? Have you done that? And we just charge week after week after week, and God is saying, Stop, stop, I have a gift for you. All right? In this beautiful word, All right, wait. It's the Hebrew quiva. And it's a root word that means laced together, braided like a basket or hair. All right, and the intent there was that you literally interweave yourself with God in a moment of waiting on him. You do that in relationship with one another. We long for true community, but we don't take time for it. We long for the spirit of God to work in us, but we don't take time for it. All right, the idea of that, uh, Tom, we talked about this week's stillness. All right, I, I took his advice. He's at our group Monday and we talked about being still. He, he, he wrote something and said it. So Wednesday night, I literally, and I love to worship, I I love music. I turned off all the music. I got in a room by myself, all right, and I'm not weird, but I lit a candle. I just thought that was cool. And so I just sat in silence, in stillness. And I'm gonna tell you, it was one of the most Beautiful, refreshing times I've had in a good while. I hear the Spirit, I, I sense all that, but there was something there. Folks, please, understand, your spiritual health is dependent upon this kavah, upon this intertwining with God, upon Him renewing and giving you the strength you need for your week. Please take time for that. Uh, well, the devotion was this week, and one of the ones I'm reading said this. The beautiful good news is that rest will not come from our work but from God's finished work. That's powerful. We know that a vacation, sleep, or other restful postures will not be enough to restore us fully. When unrest is at a soul level, it's untouchable by traditional means. We need a other than kind of power to remedy it. God is that true source of rest. So here's the reality. Back in Texas, I'm angry. I'm resentful. I neglect the house of God. I called it a funk. And so I get to this place where, all right, and we do this. Why bother with God? Why read the Bible? Why pray? Just just live life. Just go to work, do your thing. And I got to this place where this, this time with God, this rest, this Sabbath, this spiritual place did not exist. Folks, when that happens, you have You have allowed yourself to come to the place then where sin can do great damage. And here's what we read in the last passage. About the same time, I realized some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. There's a really neat message in there. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them. I pulled out their hair. Are you glad we don't do that nowadays? I'm telling you. Can you see Pastor John coming down, grabbing Jason's beard there and ripping your hair out of your beard? Would not be good. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with pagan people of the land. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin, I demanded? There was no king from any nation who could compare to him. God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you ever think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? Listen, the point I'm sharing here isn't that you can't marry foreign women. That's not what the point is. It's the point of the idea of compromising. Compromising. God has set in motion a life. And even with Solomon, this progression that we've experienced, that I've experienced, led me to this place of compromise. And the things that I never thought I would consider in my life in Texas, I'm sitting there thinking. And it led to one night, I'm in the office, it's late. I wasn't coming home much. I was working way too much. In a bad place, the enemy was inside. I had neglected the house of God. I had neglected a time and a devotion with the Lord and it was the one and only time I'd shared this before how this happened but I was sitting in my office thinking I don't want to live anymore this is a horrible place I had opened my mind to sin I had just let compromise come in and it was the worst place some of you have been there Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's a horrible place to experience the great wonder and joy and freedom of God and to then months later be in this place where you don't even want to live, where sin has come into your life. You don't know what to do with it. You don't know how to deal with it. And I was just thinking, and I just kept thinking, God, how can I do this? I don't want to live anymore. And I didn't want to really end my life, but I just didn't want to live anymore. And I want to say if you're here today or you're aware of someone that feels that, there is hope. In time, in that moment, God began to just chip away at my hard heart. It was sinful. It was against God. It wasn't for God. And he began to chip away. And literally, it was like he, like, like you put a little pinhole in something. And, and just the, all that crud began to just leak out. And I began to cry and weep. And after a period of just sorrowful weeping of my life being a mess, I said, God, can you help me? Can you help me? And God did a miracle. He literally did a miracle. He changed my heart right then. I had hope again. I had belief again. Had all those things that I had let in my life progress to the place I was. I let that happen. And so this is why you could see great men of God, women of God, or even people in your life, or even you, that could be at such a spiritual high and a great place with God. And then in a matter of time, just begin to be at this place where You're just far away from God. You're sinful. You're living a life that you didn't want to live, but it's there. This is where God wants to do. Now, we celebrate the victory of God, but if we neglect to walk in obedience, I'm not talking legalism, but obedience to God, disobedience, I will promise you folks, will always lead you back to captivity. That's what happened to these people, by the way. You do the research, a number of decades later, the wall was torn down again. They were back in the worst place. Folks, we live this. We look at the scripture and we think, man, uh, Moses takes all these people through the desert, miracle after miracle, and they kept rebelling. And they kept sinning. Why? I mean, literally, Moses is with them, God in the mountain, all right? And, and, and all of these great miracles of God, and he comes down, and what have they done? They've made a God that they worshiped. And they were literally living sinfully around that God. Moses, out of his anger, obviously, is pretty ticked off. Aaron, I love it. We just threw some gold in the fire, and i pop this golden calf. Golly, we're dumb. We're just dumb, literally. Don't be dumb. Let God come back and do what he needs in your life. Can I pray for you? Would you just close your eyes for a moment? Lord, I've lived this. I've seen this. When I looked at this, I thought, this is it. This is what happens. And I knew coming here today that my fellow saints may be in one of these places right now. Maybe you're here today. And I'm going to ask you to respond because it's the first step back to that place you want to be with God. You're here today and you say, Terry, I've allowed sin to enter my life. I have compromised and I want God to help me to stop that. Would you raise your hand? Okay, thank you. Thank you. You might be here, you've neglected your spiritual renewal, you've allowed life to take over and you're rushing about and you just don't feel and experience God. Would you like to have that back again? Would you raise your hand? All right, thank you so much. I appreciate your openness and honesty. Maybe you're here. You've neglected the house of God. You might be here today, but you're on coast mode. You're not passionate about the house of God. You're not passionate about the work he's doing. Uh, But you would like that to change. You would like God to do something in your heart today to change that. Would you raise your hand? So many of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And last, it's the starting point. How many would admit today and say, Terry, I see, I'll let the enemy in. I made a condo for him in my heart, and I'm I'm at that early stage, but I know after this message where it could go. I want to kick the enemy out today. How many would you raise your hand? Thank you so many. All right, Lord, today we're sincere and honest. There isn't a magic in this word. It's truth. It's just something we can see, but it's your Holy Spirit. It's your grace and your love that works through this. So Lord, for everyone here, God, let them come back to that place of victory and freedom in you. I pray that today in the beautiful, mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you guys.